Let's pray, shall we? Let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Lord, I ask you this morning that you open our hearts as well as our ears and say something to us that will change us this morning, that will make us more of a follower of you. Pray, Lord, that habit or over-familiarity or inertia will not stop us from becoming people of God. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Barry. I'm one of the uh, pastoral uh, staff here. If you don't know me, it'd be great to meet you afterwards if you're new. Um, I want to follow up on the, um, the vision statement that we shared with you last week and, and the week before with um, a talk that, that takes as its text that um, section of Matthew that Lynn read to us, which is often referred to as the Great Commission. Not what the Bible calls it, it's just the title that you will often get in the, in the Bible when you read it, called the Great Commission. This go and make disciples exhortation that Jesus gives and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the one place where the Trinity is actually referred to in that way. It's an exhortation that I'm going to bring you this morning, not a criticism, because we're going to talk about the journey of life that is called discipleship. And the whole point about that is that you start in one place and you move and you you become something else. So it's not a criticism of anybody, simply an exhortation of the idea, the vision of the idea of being a disciple of Christ as opposed to something else. I wonder if I can have the first slide up. Does anyone, would anyone listen to Radio 4 about a week ago? It was Friday week backwards, do you know what I mean? Um, you may recognize one of these people. You may not know the other guy. The guy on the left is got called Giles Fraser, who achieved some fame, if that's the right word, when he resigned as canon um, of uh, St. Paul's Cathedral over the um, Occupy protest, the tent city that was erected over there. And he's a, a well-known guy in the Church of England. He writes in church newspapers. He's quite thoughtful. He presents Thought for the Day quite regularly, very articulate. The guy in the bottom right-hand corner you may know, that's Richard Dawkins, known as the High Priest of Atheism. doesn't like that title, but people call it that because he doesn't like it. That's why they do it. He's not really cottoned on to that idea. And this was a debate on Radio 4 which centred on Richard Dawkins' assertion that although 72% of people in surveys, such as the, the census and other things, tick-the-box Christian, a very large percentage of them don't know what they believe, don't actually believe Christian orthodoxy, and are therefore heretics, should be burned. Um, They can't even define the first book of the New Testament, which is... I was longing for someone to say Genesis. Um, But you all said Matthew, which is very good. Um, Well done. Uh, (laughs) And he's, he claimed that people didn't have the right to call themselves Christian unless they knew their stuff and were sincere about it. And therefore, we shouldn't have bishops in the House of Lords and blah, blah, blah. So there was an agenda to it. Charles Fraser made the counter-accusation that said people have the right to self-define what they are. And if you're so clever, tell me the full title of The Origin of Species, which is your Bible. 
He, um, Richard Dawkins, fluffed his lines, didn't know the full title, couldn't remember it, therefore lost the argument. It was pretty pathetic, actually. I thought it was a ridiculous conversation and um, did nobody any favours. It was entertaining radio, um, and John Humphreys liked it, so, so that was something. What Dawkins was actually attacking was something called nominalism, just ticking the box. And for the first and only time in my life, I'm going to stand up and say, I think Richard Dawkins was right. He was right. Adhering or saying you adhere to something because you like the idea, because you like to be associated with that idea, that you can't think of anything else to say, or you've been brought up that way. Now, anyone and everyone is welcome in the community of this church. It's not a pass-fail thing. But I don't think nominalism is our goal, is it? It's not our goal. That's not what we're about. And I'm no more impressed by 72% people ticking a box than Richard Dawkins is, actually. And when uh, you know, Chris, Chris um, talked about 27 million and all that kind of thing, that's about changing society, isn't it? About changing people's hearts, because it's already illegal what's going on. There's no point passing a law against it. It already is. It's about people's nature that oppresses people in that way. And that isn't changed by nominalism. What I don't want you to hear is if you're not a fully sold-out Bible-bashing, multiple-tithing disciple, you're not welcome in this church. I'm talking about the goal of a living, healthy church, is to make disciples, not just attract interest. To make disciples, not just converts. It's hard to make a disciple out of someone who isn't a convert, but it's a, it's a, it's a place along the way. The goal is a disciple. And I just want to look at what that word means. Um, a few years ago, um, a, a man made a great impact, uh, particularly on the Church of England, but in, in English Christianity generally. His name was David Watson. And um, he, he died, uh, unfortunately, very prematurely. Um, but he, he wrote this. This is on the back of his book, which is called Discipleship. We can have the next one, Polly. Um, as always with my quotes, it's a bit long and a bit small, but let me read it to you. Um, he said this, Christians in the West, I don't know about the ones in the East, but the ones in the West have largely neglected what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The vast majority of Western Christians are church members, pew fillers, hymn singers, sermon tasters, Bible readers, even born-again believers or spiritual charismatics, but not true disciples of Jesus. If we were willing to learn the meaning of discipleship and actually become disciples, the church in the West would be transformed and the resultant impact on society would be staggering. This is no idle claim. It happened in the first century. Let me say, for the third or fourth and final time, this is not condemnation. This is a what-if would you be prepared to accept that that is a visionary statement, not just a criticism of where the church is? It's a what-if statement, isn't it? It's saying, imagine if we became disciples of Christ rather than just 
followers of the idea, what would society look like? And he quotes the example of the first century um, when the disciples turned the world upside down. And even their opponents um, accused them of that. Um, John Stott said this, um, I was about to say before he died. That's a tautology, isn't it? Um, quite obviously he said this before he died. Um, I say that because he died recently. Um, he was a, a, a beloved man of God. But he said this, he said, We have experienced enormous statistical growth without corresponding growth in discipleship. And he says this, God is not pleased with superficial discipleship. That's, that's, a, that's a, a bold statement. The church must once again make discipleship a priority for a new generation of believers. In a way, David Watson, John Stott, and Richard Dawkins were saying the same thing. With slightly different agendas, I hasten to add. And you are entirely entitled to disagree with me. Just not at the moment. But Jesus says, go, evangelize, spread the word, and make disciples. Jesus' agenda, his desire, and I believe God's heart, was to bring people into a way of following him, not merely belonging to. And I think belonging to is a necessary step along the way, but it's not the final destination. How would you define discipleship? Well, um, it is essentially about following, about emulating, about being on a pathway which is defined by the person you follow and walking in it. If we focus so much on what we call evangelism without the process of um, developing and maturing, then um, we are only doing half the job. The goal of evangelism is not actually community or converts, but disciples, of which great community is a wonderful byproduct, and which in turn creates the engine for, for evangelism, because people want to belong to great communities. But it's not the end. The end is about becoming more like Jesus. If you're not what, what might be termed a Christian, if you're not a believer, if, if this is something that you don't understand or sounds a bit arcane, my invitation to you is, yes, to join a church, but not for the sake of joining a church. I invite you to join a church to explore what it means to be a follower of Christ for you. And it will be different to what it means for Robin or Louis or Chris. It will mean something different, but it will mean something. And that meaning we call discipleship. So I want to break that down into a, a few points, which are the journey of discipleship, what that means, the choice of discipleship, what disciples believe, the fact that disciples risk things, and a disciple acts. I just want to go through those points and bring out what I mean by this journey. The first thing is a disciple of Jesus is not in a static place. They're on a journey from one state of being to another. They're developing, they're changing. 
Um, it's not an overnight process. It's something that goes on the whole of your life. Because we follow Jesus and move from where we are to where he is and where he's going. It's learning how to emulate him better. And all the time through that, getting to know God more. And um, I, I remember when I, when I sort of really decided that I wanted to, to be ordained and, and everything that entails. I, I started some, some training courses and I thought, oh, I know all this already. I suppose I'd better do it. Well, I had better do it or they wouldn't ordain me. But I thought, I know all this already. And then I entered this place of learning and realized, my goodness, there is so much to know if you want to know about different people's exploration, about what it means to be following God, knowing God, following Christ. You could spend your entire life in the library, couldn't you, Louis? He's nodding vigorously here because he's doing a, a discipleship course called New Wine Training Partnership, which you might be interested in, in doing. But there is so much. You never, ever stop learning. And the more people and broader background you meet, the more you learn about how different we all are under God and how similar we all are under God, but how much there is to learn about being human and being Christian. It's a massive, massive subject and you never stop learning. It's a journey that you join uh, at, at, at God's invitation. You're free to, to say yes or no. Highly varied in its direction. Very rarely a straight line. You know, when, when, I, when I talk to someone who's feeling discouraged or who has fallen in some way, um, very often I encounter this mentality that it's a straight line journey. I've just flopped, so I've failed. And the temptation is then to, to stop the journey. Actually, the journey of discipleship is in this sort of, you know, it's not a, it's the vaguest sat-nav you've ever bought in your life. It's sort of, and no matter where you go, it's like a sat-nav, actually. Wherever you go, it never says, well, you can't get back from here. It just gives you more directions from where you get to get back to where you want to go. So the journey of life is, is, is like a sat-nav that you keep disobeying. It keeps in, uh, suggesting another way for you to go. Every now and again, it'll say, you really do need to do a U-turn. I've got nothing else for you, but um, <laughs> Marie's nodding. She's had that experience, I can see. Um, but it's not a straight line. It's a varied um, journey of, of setbacks and, and triumphs and so on. But it is a journey. You don't stay in the same place. Secondly, it's a journey of choice. A disciple chooses now, it is true that Jesus invited his disciples. This was slightly unusual in, in Jewish rabbinic circles where people tended to choose which rabbi they wanted. But Jesus went out and chose his. But they could have said no. We don't read about the ones who did say no. Maybe there were. I don't know. But we choose. We're not forced. A disciple chooses to join, chooses to follow, and may choose to leave. In this story, at the Great Commission, we read of 11, not 12. We all know who the 12th was. But within a couple of generations, there were hundreds of thousands of disciples. In Jesus' life, there had been hundreds, then 70, then 12, and now there are 11. So there were choices being made all the time, both to leave and to join the walk of faith. But no one was ever compelled. And today, there's something like two and a bit million Christians around the world. 
growing faster than any other faith, including secularism, by choice, and often growing the fastest in the places of the highest hardship and persecution. Jesus invited people to join him, and they said yes. St. Paul's, as a church, we don't have a monastic rule that you have to keep to. You know, get up at three in the morning, five in the morning, and, and pray and all that kind of stuff. We may have a set of values that we promote, but everything we do is saying, look, wouldn't you like to live this way? Because it's a great way to live. And you do that by choice, and you enter into it, and it becomes all the more valuable, because that's the way you've chosen to do it. And the payoff is what Jesus calls life in all its fullness, John 10.10. 10. It's not necessarily a materially rich life, although it may be. Not necessarily a successful, famous life where you're well known, although it may well be. But one lived in close harmony with the heart of God. That's the journey of the disciple, to explore what God is like and what that means for the way in which we live. So it sounds rather ivory tower at one end, but actually it's totally the opposite. Discipleship is exploring what God wants me to think and do in order to please him and going out and doing it, radically challenging the status quo. You know, this, the 27 million thing um, is radically challenging the status quo that most people just don't want to acknowledge. The fact that numerically the world has gone backwards since William Wilberforce, just underground. You know, that's, that's why we need disciples. Number three is a disciple believes, by which I mean this, that a disciple chooses to follow in Jesus and redefines what they hold to be true. The disciples were all Jews. They were good Jews. They were faithful Jews. They did Jewish things. But the greatest moment in their life was when they recognized they had to redefine what that meant. To see it all as leading to this moment of choice to follow Jesus when they knew that the majority of other Jews would not. So they had to say, well, this is my upbringing, my culture, my religion, my barstool philosophy. If they had barstools then, I'm not sure if they did. Or even if they had bars. But my kind of self-made set of rules for life and I've got to acknowledge there's a bigger truth than what I thought to be the truth. My homemade belief system is subservient to something greater. And a disciple believes. It would not do to tack Jesus onto old-style Judaism as just another sect. Judaism had to come to Jesus, not the other way round. And your life is called to come to Jesus, not the other way around. He doesn't come to you and adjunct himself to a side room of your life. He wants you to come to him and redefine what you hold to be true. That takes sometimes 10 seconds, sometimes a lifetime 
but that is the process of what's going on. You're called to make Jesus the center of your life and the object of your heart. And that's a lifestyle choice, isn't it? It's certainly not just a faith, and it's certainly faith, not religion. Um, a disciple is baptized into this, into, into a, a Trinitarian view of God, into that relationship we call Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not into the idea that here was a good man who lived 2,000 years ago who fell victim to a terrible misunderstanding and whom we should remember every now and again. Whatever that is, that's not the Christian faith. Jesus is God with us. And that's a huge challenge to the Western mind and to our rational ways of thinking. But that is what he calls us to. Fourthly, disciples are willing to risk. In verse 17, it says something interesting. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. In other words, the, 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 I don't know what that means really, but, but, but the picture I have is of people who said, you know what, I don't have to 100% understand this. I don't even have to 100% accept it, but I'm going to worship you anyway because I, I, I think you're God. And I don't get that, and I've got all sorts of doubts and questions, but I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to take the risk that there will be questions that I may never, ever answer. And I meet a lot of people like that who are in that position but saying, look, if you could prove this and prove that and prove the other and show me this and show me that, then I'd believe. I think you have to risk it. You know, you believe and then you understand. I think that was Augustine. I'm looking at Chris because he's clever. It was. Oh, yes. That's two I've got right today. Um, we believe and then we understand. You know, you see life through the lens of a believer and then it becomes understandable. But it's a risk. It's a risk that all sorts of things are going to get overturned in your life and made untrue now. There's, there's, no, there's no way you can hold to old views of, of living once you come to Christ. It's not about blind belief and following. It, it includes doubt. I like the idea of doubt. Doubt is about questioning and finding out what is really true. I realize it can be debilitating and unhelpful. But we were created to question. I think it's unavoidable. You can't um, live your life without occasionally asking some very serious questions. What I want to do is throw the idea out that that's okay. That's what disciples do. They question things and think, I need an answer to that question. The opposite of discipleship in that context is not blind belief. It's indifference. It's, I don't really care about that. It's not an important question. And that's more pernicious. That's more um, eroding to us, our life as a disciple, I believe, than having healthy doubt. But it is a risk. It is a risk. It's, it's, it, it, it takes us away from that desire for certainty and nailed up answers and reducing faith to a set of formula and irredeemable truths that can never be changed. It is actually a life of mistakes. You know, the disciples didn't get who Jesus was fully, right to the end almost. 
They really didn't know what, what servanthood was and what the nature of the kingdom was. They didn't understand what love and peace meant. And Peter had a sword in his hand right to the end. They didn't get the kingdom of God, the place of women, the place of children. They didn't understand why Jesus touched lepers or spoke to Samaritans and the rich and the poor. Even Jesus got frustrated with them once or twice. It was a journey of messy learning and finding out as you went along and not getting it and then getting it and then not getting the next thing. Discipleship is risk. It's about making mistakes. But I do think it's about understanding that the way of God and the way of the kingdom is very different to the way of the world. This is not that we hate the world or the way or, or its wisdom, but that we understand that life in Jesus is different. The disciples turned the world upside down. And a fruit of that, I think, is that we understand what servanthood means. Jesus said, I've come to serve and be a ransom for many in, in Matthew ten, forty-five. And that has a call upon us all to redefine what we hold to be our own, what is ours. You know, I think Western Christianity, as David Watson referred to it, is in a context of individualism, isn't it? And owning things and having things. And we need to think more in terms of what disciples live like, which is in community, and which is characterized much more by giving. And I say that to a hugely generous church. But I think discipleship is going to make a call upon our attitude to giving in every way. Um, uh, the amount of time we give to other people, not, not necessarily to church events, things that are in the diary, but time we're willing to free up that's not used on ourselves in its broadest sense. And also in our use of cash um, in two ways, what we spend it on and then what we do with what we don't spend, including what we give to the work of the kingdom in the church. So I, yes, I think a disciple should be encouraged to tithe their income to the church and to and make sure that the kingdom building can happen in a place that we value. Linking head, heart, hands, and bank account together is part of discipleship. And that's risky too because it means I have to trust God now to honor that and provide for me and not build up my own reserves. And finally, a disciple will act. A disciple will do things. The, the, the 27 million song is launched tomorrow. All right, so don't let the impact of it diminish in your mind. Download it tomorrow. Act. Do it. Make a link between your heart, head, hands, computer, and mouse, whatever else you need to download these newfangled musical things. Buy, donate, look up the website, read about the A21 campaign, read about 27 million and pray, act. That's what disciples do. Discipleship has often been characterized as intense and detailed Bible knowledge. Nothing wrong with intense and detailed Bible knowledge, but it's not discipleship. Intense and detailed Bible knowledge is intense and detailed Bible knowledge. 
It's not discipleship on its own until it finds its way into our hands and what we do. Let me close. Choose Jesus, not just the church. Choose the journey, not the initial uh, destination. Make that deliberate and intentional. Make it a choice. Find a form of expression of faith that grows you in discipleship, be it life group, prayer triplet, an accountability partner, something, someone who you can talk to regularly who will build you up and give generously as God gives to us as an expression of your discipleship walk. Be a convert, first of all, come to Jesus, but then be a disciple. And let's see what difference we can make in this little enclave of London that we call home, both here and far away. And that is what the vision statement was all about. I think it's still there on the website. You want to listen to it. it um, it's not, uh, not been taken down. Um, listen to it in that context, that this is a call to discipleship living, not just being in a church.